check it out. I love sharing with you. I love you. I want you to experience great things, all the joys that I have for you. So look, donuts for you and donuts for you. Go ahead, dig in. Thank you. You're welcome. I, however, I will be enjoying this cake all by myself. Can we have some? Will you no. Share? Will you please? You may share have none. I will not share this cake with anyone. Why not? This cake is mine and mine alone. It belongs to no one else but me. Got it? My cake. Mm. It's really good. Can we mm. please have some? Mm -mm. Why? Mine. Mm. It's really good. <laughs> Well, thank you, Miss Mary, Miss Kathy, and Miss Lori. You are doing a fantastic job. Uh, so please keep up the good work. Hey, folks, thanks for joining us today. Uh, hang in there with us because what you just saw uh, will make sense in a little bit, I promise. Uh, but today begins our foundation uh, sermon series. And we're going to spend the next 10 weeks looking at the 10 laws that God set before his people to show them how to live. There's no guessing now how to please God, nothing vague about how to live a holy life before God and between one another. We don't have to figure this out on our own. God gave us, you see, a set of instructions that covers how we are to live both internally and externally, how we're to live uh, with God at our forefront and how we live among one another. Now, as I, as I get into this, I want to let you know that there's good news and there's bad news. Here's the good news. There's only 10. So how hard can this be, right? Well, here's the bad news. It's really hard. And as sinners living in a sin-filled world, we approach these Ten Commandments with cloudy vision. And even on our best days, we still fall short of the glory of God. These Ten Commandments, friends, when we look at them and we examine our lives against them, they show us some bold letters that we need a Savior. Because if you're like me, you struggle even with this first commandment that we're going to get to in a little while. These commandments, they are incredibly demanding. Following them requires everything we are, and we can't get by on good behavior alone. God's law invades every aspect of who we are on the inside and how we live on the outside. And you know what my problem is? Do you know what your problem is? It's sin. How can I live with and in sin, and please God at the same time. So there's good news, there's bad news, but here's the thing, we're Christians. We don't end on bad news. We can live before God because we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Jesus, who fulfilled all righteousness and committed no sin. Jesus, who was then crucified, Romans 8, 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. 
For Christ is the end of the law, writes the Apostle Paul, for righteousness to everyone who believes. So how do we live? In light of all of that, in light of who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ, how do we live? What is our proper response? Is it just to follow the rules? Is that really what life is all about? Is that just what the Ten Commandments are? Ten rules for us to follow to have a better life, to be better people. If it's just about following rules, then we're no different than the Pharisees who, who lived that way. And of all the people who, who encountered Jesus in the New Testament, the most adamant rule followers were the Pharisees. These were the only, the only ones, really, that Jesus had the most conflict with. So we know the beauty and totality of our life is not measured in how many rules we follow. Laws like the Ten Commandments are not enough just for a good society. There's got to be more. There has to be a relationship. That's the difference. There's a relationship, a choice to do the will of God out of gratitude and loyalty for who God is and what God has done. The Ten Commandments, they're not a list of rules to follow so that we can be good people. They are the foundation upon which a redeemed people build their lives upon as an appropriate response to God's grace. These Ten Commandments, they're words from a liberator to the people he has liberated. So let's look at what God says to the people he has freed. Deuteronomy 5, 6 begins with this, I am the Lord your God. I am. I am, I am, I am Yahweh. It's all right there in the Hebrew. Here's the thing about this. It's personal now. There's a name attached. God is getting specific and exclusive. This is not a vague introduction. We are not being introduced by the divine other or a higher power or, listen, America, the God that suits me. It's Yahweh. It's not interchangeable with other religious figures. It's not open to interpretation. Is it mysterious? Yes. Is it holy? Yes. Is it personal? Absolutely. I am Yahweh, your God. This is covenant relationship language. I, the God, the creator of everything, have chosen you. I am the God, and I am your God, and you are my people. We're in an exclusive relationship now. I belong to you and you belong to me. Now we look at what God has done. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You spent 400 years in slavery and I heard your cries. You were subject to polytheism, gods everywhere, to to the view that there are many gods. That's what that means. And one by one, I defeated them through the plagues. You were under a cruel leader in Egypt, and I raised one of your own to gather and lead you. I parted the sea so that you could be a people for me. I pulled you out of bondage, and I set you free. God called a specific individual named Abram, and through his lineage, God would raise a people for his glory who will be a blessing to the nations, and through them, salvation would come. God initiated this sequence of events. God did not choose them because they were noteworthy or good. 
He chose them so that his glory would be manifest through a people who would live according to his principles, a holy people who would respond appropriately to God's love and God's grace. God made the first move. God chose and God saved. They did not earn God's favor. They were saved, not because they earned it. We, you see, are saved, not because we earned it, but all of this happened then, and it happens now through God's grace alone. Listen to, the, listen to this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one may boast. It goes like this, first there is salvation, then we live accordingly. We often switch this. We often think that we've got to live accordingly in order to gain salvation, that we follow the rules and we earn God's favor. And God speaks against a salvation of works by declaring who he is and what he has done. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The Ten Commandments, you see, it's not a, it's not a checklist on, on how to be good. And if that's how you approach God's law, if you think Jesus just wants you to be a good person, you're missing the big picture entirely. The Ten Commandments, they're a framework given to us so that we can appropriately respond to how God has liberated us from sin and bondage through His Son, Jesus Christ. Grace first and then a response. We're free. Now what? Here's what God says, liberated people, this is where we start. Verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. Some translations read this, you shall have no other gods besides me. The Hebrew here is, is very descriptive. You shall have no other gods before my face. I don't want to see it. No other gods in my presence before or beside me, period. Matthew 6, 24 captures Jesus expressing this when he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and you love the other, or you'll be devoted to one or you'll despise the other. So God takes the guesswork out of this for us and tells us in no uncertain terms, no person, no deity or thing shall ever occupy my rightful place in your life. God shares with us his love, his justice, his mercy. God shares with us his blessings, even his image. He presents before us. Now, here's where we circle back to the intro. A whole plate of goodies. And he says, go ahead, dig in. And then we say, thank you. But not everything is meant to be shared. The cake that you saw earlier represents God's glory and God absolutely refuses to share it with anyone or anything. God demands, God commands our attention and our affection. He refuses to be anything less than the center of our lives, and for good reason. You see, we were made in God's image to reflect God's image, to glorify God, to worship Him through, through the way we live our lives. But when someone or something else takes God's rightful place, we become enslaved once again. Now, a good example of this is Solomon. Let's look at Solomon's life, shall we? He's successor to King David. Solomon was visited by God in a dream. He was given the opportunity to have anything he wanted, and Solomon chose to be wise. 
Now, not only does God grant Solomon's request, but God decrees that there will never be another person like Solomon ever. Now, after this encounter, Solomon becomes the wisest, richest, most powerful king in Israel's history. It was good to live under Solomon's reign, at least for a while. Things began to change when Solomon allowed idol worship in his home and throughout all of Israel. To please his many wives from all the other nations, Solomon built places of worship to these false and foreign gods and this idolatry, this putting something other than God in God's rightful place, that idolatry plagued God's people for centuries as it metastasized throughout the land and distorted the relationship between God's people and God. But listen to the most telling thing here about King Solomon, the guy who had everything but lost sight of his first love. Now, this comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's Solomon writing. I'm reading out of chapter 2. Solomon said this, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards. I made for myself gardens and parks. There was all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools. I bought male and female slaves. I also had great possessions, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I also gathered and had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended doing it, and behold, it was all vanity, like striving after the wind. Now the most telling thing here is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. Now, question. Does this sound like the words of a liberated person? Or a person who put the wrong things in the wrong place? This isn't the kind of life that God is calling us to live. God didn't bring the Israelites out of bonded, bondage in Egypt so that they could be slaves to something else. And Jesus did not die on the cross to liberate you from the wages of sin and death so you could live for lesser things. Not everything is meant to be shared. God refuses to share his glory. It is his and his alone. Eat the donuts, but you leave the cake for God. That is his and his alone. You get that right. That's why we start here and the rest begins to follow. So where do we go from here? How do we tell if we're struggling with this and what can we do about it? Here's the idolatry fill in the blank test, okay? Fill in the blank here. I desire blank more than God. I trust blank more than God. And if you put something in that blank you're giving away God's cake. Now, we're sinners, right? We live in a broken world, and all of us at one point or another has, is, and will struggle with this first commandment. So here's our way out. 
Our way out is this. Our way out is to fall in love with God by trusting his son, Jesus Christ. Our way out is total faith in Jesus to fulfill every desire, to meet every need, to give Christ our total commitment, to surrender every aspect of who we are to him and to him alone. It's trusting that God is who he says he is and that he knows what he's doing, so we surrender to him. Only the incarnate Son of God who fulfilled the entire law, who offered a perfect sacrifice for our sins, who was raised from the dead to eternal life, he alone deserves the first fruits of our affection and our attention and our love because he alone freed us. Then he taught us how to live. Grace first, then a response. Our first response to God's grace is this. It's total surrender, total submission, total faith in Jesus Christ. God gets the cake, and he refuses to share it. Let's join together in prayer now. Lord, help us see the ways that you have liberated us from sin and bondage. Help us respond to your grace with faith and trust. Change our hearts, Lord. Father, we confess to you those things that we put in your rightful place, and because we've done that, we've distorted our relationship. So God, may today be a day where you call us to reevaluate those things, to reevaluate our relationships. Father, the cake is yours. Forgive us for sharing it. Lord, we ask you now to convict us. And as you do so, Lord, may your grace and your mercy comfort us. Remind us, Lord, that our salvation is from you and you alone. We thank you and we praise you. And in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we all say together wherever we are, amen. Friends, if you have not made a decision yet, to put God in God's rightful place and to surrender to him. Maybe today is your day. And the way we do that is, is total faith, total trust. And so I would invite you, if you have not yet bent a knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, it goes something like this. You just pray, you know, and if you don't know the words to say, I'm going to guide you through that. You say, Jesus, I'm yours. I surrender to you. Take my life and make it new. And what you're doing is you're committing to put God in God's rightful place for the rest of us, for the rest of us. May today be a day of recalibration where we are reminded that God will not share his glory. Lord, help us. Thanks for tuning in, friends. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for that sermon and for preaching God's word so faithfully to us. And we look forward to the next 10 weeks as, uh, to see what God has in store for us. Hey, this is the time for us to respond to God's word with, with our gratitude and with our tithes and offerings. And if you're visiting with us, we're not talking to you. We're, talking, we're just glad you're here. This is for our members and for those who have already said yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is only right to give our best tithes and offerings. And if you'd like to do that, you can text LGRACEGIVE 
uh, and type in 77977, and uh, there, there will be instructions on how to give, as well as on our webpage, or you can drop it off in the mail or in the office. But, it, uh, but your, your support right now for ministry is vital, and we are grateful for your faithfulness. All right, before we hand it over to Mike to close out the worship service with praise, remember, next steps, if you're a visitor, visitor with us, Get on that comment card. We'd love to hear from you and connect with you and get you connected to a small group of people and to community and explore next steps with you. And for the rest of us, commit to three things. Commit to worship, commit to community, commit to service. And we want you to explore and think through what that looks like. All right, we're going to close out the worship service with Mike and some praise. So handing it over to you, Mike. 